This is the Epilogue audio experience. If you have an idea, try it out. I think the beauty of the internet is that everything lives and dies in 24 hours. So if you wanted to try something, you're probably in the best time and space ever. On today's episode, I'm excited to have someone who sits at a very interesting intersection of content, commerce and culture. OML Entertainment, only much louder, has over the years become synonymous with all things content and live experiences that continues to impact pop culture. From managing artists, stand-up comedians, writers, directors and more to producing some revered festivals, OML has created a home for some of the most incredibly talented artists and creators. I'm joined by Gunjan Arya, CEO at OML. Welcome Gunjan, it's a pleasure to have you on Jamsters. Thank you so much, Hardik. It's a pleasure to be here. So I must start off with asking, what is it really like a day in the life of Gunjan Arya? <laughs> wow, you've really asked me the hardest question up front. You've not really let me ease into the conversation at all. But no, okay, not at all. You must have. It's 11 a.m. now and we're having this conversation and I'm like, I feel like half my day is already done. I typically start fairly early. Um, but that's also because um, we've been working in about 20 odd countries um, over the last four years now where we work with creators in all of these markets. We've always been a creator first company um, and there are artists in all these countries where we work with to figure out what kind of branded content makes sense for them to do in a way that not only grows their channels but also delivers relevant impact for brands. So it helps to start early just because you get a chance to sort of catch up. And then, yeah, I mean, given the last two years of COVID and even before that, we had actually started doing work from home Wednesdays, even pre, um, you know, COVID forcing everyone to figure out work from home. So Wednesdays for me is typically this still, um, although some of our teams are already back in office. Um, and then, yeah, it's it's part client meetings, part social interactions, just catching up with teams. I was I was also curious to understand. Let's say as a CEO, your attention is pulled in diverse directions. Uh, a lot of firefighting happens on a day to day basis. Is there a anchor that pulls you back, keeps you rooted? Uh, is there a practice that you fall back on? Uh, how do you how do you keep yourself centered? Honestly, I wish I had a very um, very sage like response to this question, but I don't think I have that. I think there are two parts, right? There's one part which is working in the business, and the other is working on the business. And I think what I try to do is constantly pull myself towards the latter because the first is something that will happen very naturally, but it's the latter which you need to consciously make time around. And those are the things that you, I think if you have a full week of just working in the business, you will realize it yourself. Like, hey, I haven't done the latter. And it then just becomes a scheduling thing where you purposely block off time on your calendar or you make sure to go out and meet interesting people in the industry, figuring out what's happening. So it it really has to become just part of how you set up your weeks or your months as opposed to, you know, going with the flow. The danger of going with the flow is that you then get, like you said, pulled into different directions. So let me tell you why I started off with asking that question. Um, prior okay. to joining OML, you were also a founder of a design agency. And yes. uh, while running that and shifting gears and uh, then becoming part of OML and then working up the ranks of OML to become CEO, you've, you've seen the spectrum of running a business and now evolving into running a business. While your eventual hats both are sort of similar, 
your journey has rather been interesting from being a founder to then shifting gears to being a part of an organization and then moving up the ranks uh, which is why i started right. off with asking you that uh, you you've you now dabble multiple things uh, with artist management the studio side the brand and content side uh, working on the right. tech tools that you're currently doing um, mm. it it does demand a lot out of you and that's an assumption please correct me if i'm wrong if if that comes as a breeze to you uh but uh, if it doesn't uh, if it's a challenge uh, how is it that you know you go about navigating this which is why i started off by asking what's a day in the life of an individual like you got it got it so here's the thing right if it was easy it wouldn't be worth doing um but that said one of the reasons why i did choose to move on from the firm that i founded and it was it was doing really well i think we were at our peak then i'd done that for about 7 years we had won several international awards we were winning business from mainline agencies that have been around for hundreds of years um and had enough acquisition uh you know opportunities on the table as well um but none of that really made sense to me it didn't occur. it didn't appeal to me at a personal level and one of the things that i thought was hey if i figured out how you know branding and marketing works um can i take those same skills and apply it to artists i feel like i would have done something uh that is meaningful and that's really what made me jump ship i say jump ship very uh, cautiously because i moved along with my entire team uh to oml the idea at oml back then was hey brands are becoming a very credible way uh to support artists and their ambitions i think back in the day you had patronage right patronage was a way of supporting the arts whether you know the church did it or whether you know various maharajas did it where they had like the bard of the court or the you know certain painters that they supported um now of course brands are becoming that and they're finding it a credible way to reach the audiences and the communities and the fans that they want to reach to me the move to oml was still a business head role so and this is something that i always have a um a challenge with explaining to people you can't you can't compare lakes to oceans yes i ran a a business before but that was it was the size of the vertical then which was growing and now has continued to grow and is the biggest vertical at oml uh today so while roles may have changed i think the size the scale and the ambition has c- continuously grown and i think it's become more meaningful to me at a personal level to be able to work with uh you know artists to be able to tell stories that haven't uh been told before to be work to be working with platforms that then give you that scale and reach for those stories i think that's what's really important to me and that's what makes it worthwhile so when you jumped the ship uh as yeah. you say was it uh and i'm curious to know please help me unpack this a little bit more because uh, especially from being a founder to then being part of an organization however passionate you are about a certain role but there is a certain mindset shift that's required in in um donning a different hat let's say like you mentioned it was a business role eventually for you uh but but was there a mindset shift for you was there an expectation shift for you when you were changing gears luckily i think i was back to sort of working with friends one is that i had already worked with oml previously a lot of we shared clients um there were times when oml was a client there was times when oml was a vendor to a client that i was working with so we had already sort of figured out Got how to work it. together I see. 
so I don't think there was friction there if that's what you're hinting at but it did allow me and you know uh, due credit uh, to the founders of OML they did give me that space to come in and build and that's really what's led to uh, the success of say just the branded content division which has become as large as it has today and it's like you know in multiple markets we're working with multiple brands it's um, I think it's uh, one of the largest largest branded content practices in the country today so yeah, I think that's that's because I had that free reign to be able to, you know, grow it out. Um, not just using the support of what OML did, gave me as a platform, but also because of that. So when this setup was happening, this transition was happening, um, who led the conversation? Was it you to Vijay or uh, the team from OML came to you to sort of make this happen? Honestly, it was so organic. Um, like I said, there were a bunch of... Um, acquisition opportunities on the table. It was a conversation that I was having with them uh, just to discuss what do you think my option should be? Uh, because like I said, they're friends uh, and um, it just organically flowed into the direction of, hey, we should build this together. So yeah, it was it was fairly easy um, as a conversation. But you know, I think one of the things that I want to sort of talk about is the fact that everybody thinks that to build something big, you have to make a big leap or you have to make like this massive change. It, I don't think it's ever that, right? I think any kind of, like wherever we are today has come from those small conversations, the small projects that add up very quickly to build trust, to, you know, to just um, build relationships. And those are the things that get you to opportunities and then give you those opportunities to deliver. I don't think it's one of those like big swing moments. I know I know it's uh, something that is really glamorized and spoken of, um, you know, what, what startups call pivots. Sure, but they don't happen without having done the necessary homework, built the necessary base you know, build the opportunities for yourself. And I, I, I feel like that's important to say. And I think that's very, very important because uh, you very correctly pointed out, I think it's it's these small steps, these small changes that sort of compound over time, uh, the relationships that you build compound over time. Uh, but especially when you mentioned the context of that you were working already uh, in some form, shape with OML guys earlier, that really sort of shifts the gear a little bit, right? I think you've already built context. You've already built trust with someone. And then it's just a matter of conversation and sort of aligning of interest and seeing whether this actually makes sense or not. Vis-a-vis, you making a massive jump and then understanding that, hey, this opportunity seems interesting. Let me go and explore that entirely new. Then that sort of pivot that you mentioned, the big jump you mentioned, uh, sounds a little more glamorous and, you know, uh, with a lot more struggles and all that. But uh, from the way you're putting it right now, this almost seems like uh, seamless. Yeah, and it did feel like that, which is why when you're like, hey, how is it to work? I was like, hey, it, it felt natural. It felt like something we'd already done before. Interesting. Uh, you know, one of the, I remember this um, 
quote that Abish had shared at either one of the events. I'm not sure which it was. It was many years back. He said that you don't segue into a you you don't jump into a career. You segue into a career. So if you're working a daytime job uh-huh. uh, uh, and 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 you want yeah. to sort of shift gears, I think you segue into it. You don't make a massive jump immediately, which really made a lot of sense, uh, especially when you're trying to dabble with something, when you're trying to test two waters. Uh, going through that route versus making like a blind jump will make a whole lot more sense. Absolutely, I think I, I was just uh, reading this morning. It's, it's one of those like you know business journals, right? Where they were just like, hey, if if there is that shift or if there is something that you're looking at doing, what you're doing today is already you've already made that decision. So you you're already choosing how you wish to operate as a business what you wish to design for yourself as a life it's it's already here and now and it's it's the choices you make every day i'm curious to know when you sign up a talent a fresh talent that comes in uh, primarily not very well known in the circuit but someone you've been eyeing for some time uh, what are some parameters what are some things that you look for while onboarding a new talent so one thing i'd like to actually start with is that we don't necessarily onboard talent talent on boards as so for us artists are clients um we provide management services it's for them to look at the oml network um and say hey if i am part of the oml network xyz things become available to me and these are the kind of managers i'm going to have this is how they look at my career and that's really the conversation which leads to us deciding to work together it's important for us to know that uh, the artist is ambitious and has a trajectory that we can support and hopefully influence in a positive way and it's important for the artist to have the confidence in us saying that yes i believe that oml has my best at heart the way the services are structured is that we only make money when the artists make money right so we're fully aligned to the artist's success So just to give you an example whether earlier it was when we worked with musicians back in the day um our pitch to them was hey don't sign up with a record label com- company uh because you'll be giving away your rights uh sign up with you know give your music away for the, for free on the internet um and people will watch you and come out and uh you know people will discover you and come out to watch you and pay good ticket money uh to watch you perform live now to us that was a credible way of monetizing their art back then and luckily for us the you know inter- the internet became what it is you know youtube today is one of the biggest music engines in the world on the back of that we set up the content production team which was earlier set up to make music videos because if that music had to go on youtube it needed a music video to go with it um obviously the artist management team today has become has scaled to include comedians creators digital celebrities of all sorts influencers travelogers etc plus writers directors because our ott team also so the content production team is now an ott studios team which now produce i think we've done about 45 shows for platforms mm-hmm. such as amazon prime video netflix etc right So we've always sort of grown on the back of hey how do we help artists monetize their talent there was a time when we built a live team today that live team uh, and the ips that we built such as the bacardi n87 weekend or sit at notwin or for example the um 
the ticketing team that we, uh, the service that we started called insider.in today sits at Paytm. But all of these were built because we had artist interests at heart first, right? So for example, the live team was built because hey, independent musicians needed to tour with their music. They needed to go on the road. Here is a team that can support that. Or for example, the, uh, the ticketing team was built because no other ticketing platform would give us data. And if you don't know who's buying your tickets, you don't know who you're actually selling to. You don't know how to publish your music. You don't know how to pick venues. You don't know how to do any of those things. And which is why we actually started the ticketing division. Of course, it's now grown to become one of the largest ticketing services in the country under the PTM umbrella. Each one of these has been an opportunity to figure out, hey, how do artists monetize better? Um, working with brands has been an opportunity in that direction as well. Setting up the creator tech tool platform has been an opportunity in that direction as well. Um, so for us, it's really figuring out, hey, yes, here is this artist. Do they have a unique point of view on the world? And is this something that we can influence positively? And that's really just the conversation. And that's led us to many interesting um, you know, opportunities now. So for example, we're working with um, uh, Zakir Khan, who has just launched his own biryani brand. And I think it was one of the biggest D2C launches in the country recently. It launched in like 60 plus cities um, at the same time. Or for example, Sumuki Suresh, who is now starting her own content company with a very clear focus on stories with around women that need to be told. So I think these are all ways for us to figure out with artists, how do you expand your brand, your influence and your uh, just your craft. So does that uh, when when you're thinking about monetization opportunities uh, with creators and artists, how do you then reconcile the balance between uh, them doing what they do best, which is performing art or creating content versus handling the business side of things? Where do you come in and where do they come in? Sorry, when you say business side of things, how do you mean? So when you say D2C, right? For example, biryani angle. Um, this was something probably Zakir was passionate about, let's say, right? Um, now to go about building a business is a whole different skill set. Uh, his forte is around creating content, telling right. stories and being a magician on stage, right? There's no doubt about that. However, the business side of things mm. is where I'm guessing you come in. Um, and how is it then you would go about navigating, launching, uh, you know, exploring hypothesis that this is actually a feasible business? Like how does the conversation unfold in, in a case like this? In this particular case, there was a company that was already doing this and we figured out what it means to partner with them, including figuring out uh, what Zakir's role in this will be, uh, plus making sure that there is, um, you know, an equity partnership along with a strategic partnership. So it's all of that bundled in, which allows us to provide um, the artist a more holistic solution. So earlier when the pitch was around, uh, you know, the musicians not going with record labels and working with you, uh, signing up with you, uh, and especially around the time when let's say streaming wasn't mainstream and the revenue sharing wasn't really possible back then, these partnerships, uh, striking these partnerships, was it difficult? Because that same sort of phenomenon 
transcending a little bit right now when the digital artists have mm. become mainstream and that whole era which was happening with musicians in my capacity in the way i see it is happening right now with creators when they see that they can become themselves as brands uh you know not going to the traditional route of only ticketing not only streaming but other avenues of also increasing monetization opportunities i think at any given point of time it's important to understand how the landscape is set up and who the who the gatekeepers are at that point of time yes record label companies were gatekeepers and um they were probably the most or the widest uh way of getting distribution right thanks to the internet that's changed mm-hmm. and to your point that is exactly why creators today are brands in themselves hmm they have their own distribution thanks to platforms that have given them a voice and obviously thanks to all of us having a phone and an internet connection everyone hmm. has become a broadcaster broadcasters or record label companies or then the combination of the two no longer are gatekeepers to people discovering your music and similarly for all other forms of talent hmm. so there is an opportunity for artists to get their craft out outside of that whatever it takes to make sure that you get heard you get seen you get listened to is what we can help collaborate with the artist to discover those opportunities and then outside of that when or sorry the next step to that is figuring out how to monetize but yeah that's that's it really the trajectory of artist management right it's to make sure that you continuously get discovered by more and more audiences and then make sure that you're able to monetize your craft so in the bigger scheme of things um is there a way where you see oml shaping up into something which has a global parallel to what you're doing right now is there an organization and company that you look uh as a parallel which is a global conglomerate of sorts for example uh that you sort of wish to build into or if that is not the thought what is it wow that's a that's a great question hardik i feel like we get asked this every time we meet um anyone from the vc or investor community you know for the longest time we've had the problem of the the four blind men and the elephant i don't know if you've heard of this uh fable please tell me but it's so it's a uh, it's four blind men and an elephant in a room and each one of them tries to describe um what is in the room with them uh one blind man catches the tail and he's like oh i think it's a rope the other one catches a leg or hugs a leg and he's like oh i think this is the trunk of a tree uh one sort of you know holds the trunk and he's like you know i don't think it's a tiny rope i think it's it's a big massive one um and that's sort of been uh oml's uh challenge even at a uh, not at a business level but in terms of how our three businesses uh today which is you know creator management branded content and ott content get perceived outside so for example our clients on the branded content side don't know of how large the studios business is or for example the clients on the artist management front which are creators don't realize that you know we work with over 300 brands in 20 other countries because obviously for them oml is the service that they are getting uh delivered to them on a daily basis in terms of management services um that said 
I think part of the problem or the reason why this happens is also because we still haven't found a global parallel to what we do. Increasingly, of course, uh, people are seeing the merits of having these three teams work with each other because obviously you're seeing how the you know the connections are leading to you know more controllable outcomes bigger opportunities etc um but internationally we haven't found another firm that's done all three or even the other two businesses that we built at OML and then sold off so for example there was a live nation which was similar to um maybe OML's live events team which does a combination of owned IPs as well as branded shows um but then live nation didn't really get into the artist management business right or for example there is a CAA which will uh not just rep different types of talent but also obviously get into like packaging etc of shows um but they will not produce shows that's a different business there is endeavor content which will produce shows but not get into you know other parts of the businesses that we've gotten into so while we have we definitely see the positive flywheel of each of the businesses sort of lending to the other to the other verticals we haven't seen this internationally anywhere that's interesting um you know ashwin uh, of pocket aces was also on the show earlier and uh, i asked him a similar question that you know is there something that you see a parallel with so he said that uh, similar to your challenge that he faces that when vcs ask him about what is it building into so he said on a very very macro level he sees that it's building into something of a disney uh, but but disney is, is way big is what he says okay. in terms of what he is doing so which was very very interesting to hear sure. uh, it, it just gives a size and 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 an ambition to understanding what this can be built into because it's so inspiring to yeah. hear entrepreneurs founders ceos build something massive out of just an idea and uh, oml is such a classic mm-hmm. example of what it was what it has gone into so many things uh, curtailed back again gone into so many other interesting ventures and sort of constantly evolving um one of the other things that i was thinking about the other day i was talking to a friend of mine he's i was asking that uh, why are uh, why aren't rather uh, many uh, media and entertainment companies listed uh, on the stock exchange here in india what what do you see as a challenge uh, why don't they build into that sort of mm-hmm. uh, robust businesses do you have a take on this so if you look at some of the best media stocks right it is um discovery netflix disney um but i think each one of them today reps represents a few different things um obviously skill that comes from you know cross promotional opportunities that i hinted at earlier as well with our three verticals but also the fact that it has access to distribution and that distribution comes on the back of technology so whether it's disney or netflix etc they are investing a lot there whether it's distribution technology whether it's you know figuring out uh just dtc uh for themselves um the other bits are uh just diversification and very clear point of view on content um i think there is a path to us getting there 
I just think that with the kind of scale and numbers that we're talking about, it needs a lot more uh, predictability. And that's something that we hadn't seen previously, but at least if I were to look at just the way OML sort of performed year on year, we've seen 100% growth. Um, and that's not something that media companies in a year just coming out of the pandemic can claim. So perhaps there is a road to that, but I think for now, your question sort of applies across the board where I think private equity players are a lot more interested in it than say, you know, uh, just general stock market. Hmm. So when uh, Nordman Gaming applied, uh, you know, acquired rather uh, your various verticals, which was live events and gaming and IP business. Uh, and, and these were some really um, important pillars on which OML was built. Some of the most loved festivals that we hear of, that we know of, that we enjoy have been part of, mm-hmm. you know, OML for such a long time. I'm curious to know, A, was there an emotional angle to this when you were letting that organization, uh, that vertical go? And in terms of valuation that you look at, do you think that it would have been valued a little more higher than what you were looking at? I'm sure there's always the challenge ki, ha, I should have got more. But but I'm sure when you come to a consensus with, with, a, with an investment firm, I'm sure there are multiple reasons to it. Uh, I'm sure you know that best. But on, on the side of getting increased valuation, is it because it's a very manpower, service, multiple moving parts kind of a business? That's why the valuations don't tend to be higher here. Uh, please give me some insight on that. This is just a perspective that I'm sharing, but I'd love to get your take on that. Sure. Hardik, I'd love to understand. How do you think um, valuations are decided? Or what do you think is a high? Because you said, oh, we would have gotten a higher valuation. I, I actually think it was a great deal, but... I would like to know, according to you, what is a good multiple? Like I, I mean, obviously I do not know the nuances of the business. So I'm obviously, it's just back of the envelope conversation and stuff like that. So it will be very, very skewed if I give some random number or even a hypothesis. So that's entirely wrong on my part. Uh, the reason why I see this is because when we talk about a brand like NH7 Weekender uh, and things of that nature, uh, they've built a cult following right? Uh, people want to be a part of it. People wait for it. And in fact, I can remember this vividly when 2020 came in and you guys went virtual. It was almost like a dip in terms of expectation that what the hell, like, you know, we, we don't want this experience to be virtual. We want to be live and feel the energy, mm. uh, the vibe with the artist, the people, the badness, you know, all that stuff around people. Uh, and I'm just giving one example, but I'm talking as a consumer, right? But you run the business, the, the numbers behind it. Which is mm. where I'm coming from, right? Like when, when as a consumer, I would feel that, oh, all right, uh, this brand should be significantly higher priced, valued at what it is currently right now. Uh, because I'm a consumer, I'm enjoying the experiences, but the numbers are, are very clear to you or, or maybe the investment firm. So uh, okay. would you like to shed some light in terms of, you know, uh, how does this really work? Uh, and again, I'll go back to circle early question that letting go of this business, was it a problem? Uh, how did you think about this? And uh, yeah, thinking from that perspective of numbers, uh, it's, 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 it's a two-pronged question, but I hope you'll sure. be able to answer that. Sure. <laughs> I will. I, and I'll try to get into as much detail as I can without me getting a call after this recording. Um, <laughs> so um, yes, you're right in saying that, you know, for example, the NA7 brand is a really strong brand and it's something that I think it's it till today is one of the larger IPs that OML is known by. 
um so was it an emotional decision of course it's something that we've been doing for 12 years it marks our calendars every single year um and when we took it online in 2020 even we felt the need to go back on ground but we also needed to make sure that we do it in a way that um uh, you know people are safe and are protected and if you remember back then we didn't i don't think we knew everything about covid right it takes us a good year to put the festival together and it was something that we decided to do because we realized that the community and it's something that you spoke about really wanted to come together again even if they were stuck at home um and we worked with some of our oldest partners to be able to build an interface that allowed people to go back to the best parts of the festival you know which included breakout rooms for you to be able to watch the festival together with a smaller group of friends or then you know like just talk to anybody else at the festival there were multiple stages at the same time which has always been a hallmark of the festival um we did all of that and i think the the numbers and the attendance that we got was a testament to the fact that you're right that there, there is a very strong following for the brand um that said the live events business is an incredibly hard business to run um especially in a country like india where you end up building a lot of the infrastructure that you may end up taking for granted say in more developed markets and then ticket sales have never really always matched up to the kind of values that you can expect in other markets as well whereas artist fee will pretty much be the same right if you're bringing an international talent down um that said i know that the festival and it's been a profitable festival for a couple of years um is probably one of the most successful festivals in the country um while oml operated it as a as a promoter and as a um as an agency to various brands that wanted to be at the festival um there was an opportunity for the same ip to deliver a lot more value under the uh, notwin umbrella and this came to us so it i know it was a covid year thing but it wasn't a distressing we were absolutely fine today oml has strong enough fundamentals that we didn't have to fire anyone in the two years of covid uh due to job cuts we did not have to uh cut salaries everyone got paid on time we were able to take care of our teams so it wasn't a reaction to covid although it did the sale did happen in 2021 it was an incoming request it was literally hey we love the ips you've built we love the teams that deliver these ips we believe that as part of nordwin it allows us to look at gaming adjacent opportunities in culture that will allow us to grow gaming what will it take and which is why i believe we arrived at a fair price so it was a decision of the investors to divest and it on i although i know it has this larger footprint outside it was just 15% of our business so it has mm. that larger than life sort of uh visibility outside but yeah it was the decision by our investors to divest about 15% that's interesting right i think uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, for the past few years uh, nh7 became profitable um and is it and this is nh7 we're talking about which is which is so huge as a festival uh, so uh, are you sort of hinting that 
music festivals in general when they operate here in india they are uh, not essentially profitable areas to sort of uh, you know uh, either either get into or you know invest into i wouldn't want to speak for others but mm-hmm. i think those that know the books know how the industry has been impacted or has never seen uh credible profits over the last few years over the last few decades actually so yeah so is it more around you know uh the infrastructure the policy support uh that is sort of more tied into uh these things or is it just the nature of the indian audience uh that you you felt is difficult to sort of uh, monetize it's actually a combination of all of those things right okay um if you look at just attitudes towards paying for for the arts is not something that's a well established cultural norm um, that's a great point just starting there i remember the first year we had to like struggle with ticket sales and then we made it a thing that hey this is a festival that doesn't give away free tickets or this is a festival that will never have a vip section this is mm. a festival where that will never so these are a lot of firsts i remember the first year itself um we had the festival guide and it had three stages and um the timings for performances on each of the stages and we had folks that came out and said hey this is happening at the same time as this so how do i make sure i catch both and we're like it's a festival it's not a concert go to whichever stage see half of one then walk over to wow. the other but this was all habit forming things that we've been that we've been trying for the last you know 10 years and of course over time it did become an understanding but these were a lot of firsts for like 2010 Mm. um when the festival started so um yeah and i would and just like that piece itself i feel like if you look at everything that we've done we've we've always we've literally looked at all pockets of the creator economy from different spaces that today i, I like how creator economy is becoming a bit of a buzzword now but i think i see oml's role as one that's responsible for growing the pie as opposed to just taking a share of the pie and i would like it to continue that way oh that's a great point on the artist management side uh the roster of your uh, clients like you say uh is increasing and you want to increase the pie when you onboard a talent or rather let's put it the other way where you put it that when the talent likes to work with you um is there yeah. a certain understanding uh expectations that you sort of want to give to the uh, creator that they should be aware of because these things maybe not uh these things may not be something that they understand naturally like as an artist i don't know what is the expectation of an artist management uh, agency from me i understand the business and the revenue sharing might be clear but are there some other expectations that creators artists need to be aware of while working with an artist management agency a lot of the artists that we work with have either been uh, previously self managed or haven't had management um because we really we've always uh, not always sorry but uh, we typically work with artists that we believe will grow or will have a breakout um so yes there is a learning curve on both sides um but i think it fundamentally at the heart of it it is hey do you have my best interest at heart and then everything really flows from there so whether it's you know making sure that you know travel is taken care of making sure that you have the right kind of uh, 
mic on stage, whether you have the right kind of shows, are you playing the right venues, are you going up with a lineup that makes sense to you, um, are you getting a chance to feature on a video which will allow you to be discovered by fan bases that previously may have not seen you or will it give you a chance to just like show up because it's important to continue to be relevant. It's all of those things that, um, you know, uh, artists should expect from management. And your shift into gaming, uh, which which happened, I believe, uh, quite recently. Why gaming and esports, let me put it that way. Um, what is the opportunity mm-hmm. that you see there? And, and what's the scope in terms of business that OML possibly sees this going forward? So I think uh, gaming is a really interesting uh, space. One that has the opportunity to almost subsume all other genres under it. It's going to become... I think it will be a platform and a media opportunity more than just a genre of entertainment. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we know music festivals are happening inside games. We know, you know, comedians are now game casters, etc. Right. So I think gaming has that sort of an opportunity. That said, this is a team that currently now sits at Nordwin as well. So this was also part of the business that we divested when we did last year. Interesting. Are you a reader? Do you, do you, do you consume books articles how do you how do you get your information i think you you've uh, touched a nerve there hardik uh, unfortunately i don't get a chance to read as much as i would like to mm-hmm. um i've been reduced to keeping up with interesting authors through like newsletters and instagram and then following them through to some link that i'd mm-hmm. be able to find but yeah i don't i don't read as much as i would like to Interesting. Um, if there would be a parting note, uh, three points that you'd want to say to creators and artists, what would that be? I think one that we we started with, which was like just focus on the everyday as opposed to those large swings. Uh, and I think that's really important because being a creator is a lot about discipline and showing up every day. Um, and I know it can be exhausting and therefore you know, building that into your daily schedule as well is really important. Uh, I think the second would be outside of just focusing on your on your craft, also focus on how you're going to get discovered. So, yes, it's important to become a better writer. It's important to write better jokes. It's important to, you know, write new music. It's important to produce new videos, etc. But it's also important to pay attention to how it's going to get seen, how it's going to get discovered. Because a lot of those tools today are up to us. We don't need to, for example, sign up with that record label company or sign mm. up with that. You know, um, so yeah, I, I, and I think that's, a lot of that has now become an opportunity for artists to dictate themselves. I think that's the second one. And um, I think my third one would be like, just give it a shot. If you have an idea, try it out. I think the beauty of the internet is that everything lives and dies in 24 hours. So if you wanted to try something, you're probably in the best uh, time and space ever to be able to test out new ideas and do enough of those because you don't know what's going to stick. So yeah, just try new things, see what sticks and be open to that. I think that's that would be my third thing. Lovely. Lovely. Thank you very much, Gunjan. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. And I'm sure there's so many takeaways for 
creators and for the whole ecosystem there. Thanks, Arthur. If you enjoyed this episode of Jamsters, please make sure you subscribe to Epilog Media and all major podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Jio Seven, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, among many others, for upcoming episodes. You know, I love listening from each one of you. So please make sure you share this podcast with your friends and family and your colleagues. And please make sure to drop a comment on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. And also, if you're listening on Epilog Media, they've recently launched a feature where you can comment on the particular episode too. Your support is my fuel. You can connect with me on Instagram at the rate Hardik Devadya or on LinkedIn too. Catch you on the other episode.